Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. Welcome, Penelope. Thank you. It's good to have you on again. It's nice to be here again. I think this is the third time. Do I do I get an SNL jacket? Like, at what point do I get swag for coming on the pod? Like, is the question. Uh, we should. That's a good question. We should maybe make some swag. Yeah. If I if I wanted to make like two or three dollars at a time the hard way, <laughs> I would make some some podcast swag. Sure, and then just give it give it to friendlies like me and Wavin. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We 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 have some tuple swag. It's kind of barely worth the administration to to do it. Like it's it's never it's not a, even a profit center. Like we give away ninety percent of the time. Yeah, which is which is nice. You know, sign a big deal, send some t-shirts over, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. I remember like. Joel was asking me questions from the accountants being like, how do we classify this versus that? And I was like, Joel, we're going to make like a thousand dollars from t-shirts. Let's, let's not spend any more time on this. Yeah. What's the smallest amount of time we can spend working out what to do with this? Yeah. Like working out how the bookkeeping should work. Yeah. It's like, okay, we, we've already talked too much about this. So, um, it's awesome to have you on. I love talking about Stripe. I love chatting with you. I'm excited about this. I checked out your LinkedIn technical advisor to the cto what a title it well it, it is my job title now i mean the sort of behind the scenes there right is i, I think the last time i was on the podcast i was the tech lead for our api services team and david who is the cto sent out an email internally to the engineering community and was like i'm looking to hire a technical advisor and he interviewed a bunch of stripes and decided to pick me i've been in this role since november of last year uh, and it's very multifaceted, is the way I might put it. Uh, basically, as multifaceted as I suspect being the CTO is, right? In the sense that, like, I am an extension of uh, him being able to get things done. And yeah, I work on a lot of very varied stuff. It's a lot of fun, though. I'm really, really enjoying the role. So the the technical advisor part of it makes me think you're doing research and then kind of summarizing it and reporting back. Is that accurate? It's like close. That's maybe where I spend like a third of my time. And when you say research, it's really like going and talking to engineers and engineering managers and sort of moving uh, through the engineering organization and like gathering context in more detail than he has the time to. David spends a lot of time in meetings. I also spend a lot of time in meetings, but I can go deeper in places that he can't and sort of summarize and bring it back. Sometimes I write code, but like that is extremely rare now. Uh, I think I landed zero pull requests in Stripe's main repo in the last six months, uh, which is about where I like to be uh, in this role. And just writing a lot, honestly. I, I'm producing, I don't know, 10, 20,000 words of English text a week. And yeah, having a, having a good time. What kind of things are you writing about generally? I sort of wrote up... A, so I went and talked with a bunch of different uh, engineers and a bunch of different parts of Stripe about a sort of particularly thorny prioritization issue we're having and got a bunch of context from them and then wrote up to the best degree of my understanding what they were telling me. And, and then sort of like, hey, David, instead of you having to go talk to like 10 people and understand what they're thinking, here's one page of text. Like, um, And this is actually a thing I've sort of had to finesse a lot in this role is writing really tersely. Like, I have definitely felt that just like sort of automatic writing from me is like of a much higher quality than it was six months ago, right? Like just the writing I do when I'm just blasting text out is now has like gotten like more compressed and more terse, but it's still very understandable. And then if I do an editing pass, it will get even shorter. And like, it's kind of become, writing has kind of become my coding, right? Like that's, 
the only thing I'm producing now, because I'm not really a maker in this role at all, the advisory part of this role is very strong. I spend a lot of time just talking to David being like, if I was you, I would do this. Tell me what you think. And I often write documents to support that. And so, like, I do a lot of writing. That sounds a little bit like my life, too. <laughs> uh-huh. the, the main thing I'm producing is, like, Google Docs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mostly. Absolutely. Are you happy with Google Docs, by the way? Do you like that as a, as a place to get to like produce a thing and then get feedback on that writing and like work on it it's the best of the available tools i have been able to find which is not an overwhelming compliment i think like it's fine like it's not great like it ha- is like, there room for something way better i feel like there is yeah so like dropbox dropbox paper is also kind of good but has like ceased to be my preferred tool now that I'm not writing code as much like Dropbox paper feels to me really good for writing like design docs with like snippets of code in line or just like pseudo code in line because it has like nice markdown and syntax highlighting and all of that stuff. Is that the only affordance it has that makes it feel good for code? It, well, that- it's it's a marked it's a markdown editor, right? It's like a concurrent markdown editor with a commenting system. Whimsical has a documentation has a docs system and whimsical is what stripe uses for remote sort of like architecture diagrams and whiteboarding it's like google docs but for flowcharts basically they actually have a a document editor as well that a lot a lot of stripe engineers are starting to like i i'm i'm not in love with whimsical either i guess my view here is no there isn't there isn't an amazing there isn't an amazing online text editor out there that's how I feel too. And I know that's that's the easy part of it, is just is noticing that nothing is amazing. But I have this nagging thing. Every time I, I like want to collaborate on a document, I just have this sense of like, this could this just feels like it could be better. Anything anything that's not marked down is a no-go in my book. Anything with a rich text editor, no. No, thank you. But then yeah, like the the commenting system and how that works and like there's some things about GitHub PRs that are like perfect for this. It, that might be the best i would say of of the things that i've tried but i know i know the rust folks do all of their rfcs with like markdown files and github prs and i think that's been a pretty good work obviously that's like a very coder heavy organization like i think like perhaps the the thing that i will speak to google docs that like makes it hands down better than all the other solutions for where i'm working is people who are not engineers can work with it incredibly well, right? And so as, as part of my role, right, I'm not, like, I'm engaging with a lot of engineers, but, like, as you might expect, I'm also engaging with finance people and communications people and marketing people. And, you know, the CTO has a strong responsibility to our sales and marketing organizations. And, like, I work with them. I work with our mergers and acquisitions group as well, right? And so, like, Google Docs is approachable to all of those folks in a way that anything powered by Markdown is simply not. I question that. I, I get you, but I also th- I also like I believe in a better future, where like an, a, the average internet user can handle Markdown. Let me be more precise. Versus all of the things that we are sort of drawing a comparison to that currently exist, Google Docs is more approachable, right? Because it's like Word, and everyone learned Word at some point in in the history, right? If you are asking me, like, do I think someone could come in and build like a user friendly Markdown based, really amazing web based? doc authoring tool i think the answer is probably yes and i think nobody has like like really sort of 10x the space in a decade right like i don't i don't think that we have had the like alfred of doc authoring or the tuple of doc authoring uh apps right cool well you know just 
Just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah. It's on my list of things. We're like, <laughs> this, I have this thought sometimes, which is like for the amount of writing that Stripe does, the fact that you are mostly relying on Google Docs just makes you feel like if you could make a thing that Stripe wanted to switch to, side note, that might be the hard part. <laughs> uh, it's definitely the hard part. <laughs> That's a wonderful company. So so once, you, once you've IPO'd and you're a billionaire, this will be your next startup is what you're telling me. Yeah. Cool. Great. Fantastic. It's, it's on the list. <laughs> Collaborative doc making, I, I think, would be better. Nice. Yeah. You want to talk, talk about Stripe Capital? I understand you are prepared to grill me. I mean, you made a little bit of a splash by, and, and obviously listening to the episode that just came out, it sounds like you have begun to dig into like actually using those funds. I think for me, like I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear, were you considering taking a, like, a loan from somebody else to do this? Or was it purely that because we were offering you money, you decided to take the money? If you sort of see the question I'm asking you. Yeah, sure. Well, so to clarify, we have not yet pressed the button. Okay, you have the, not yet pressed to, the button. To, okay. To take the button. But we, we will press the button. We're committed to this path. We're not interested in other paths. Interestingly, as soon as we talked about this, uh, we got a f- few DMs from other people being like, no, no, take our money. So it's an interestingly competitive space. The fee on taking the money is small enough that the convenience of just being able to press the button is worth it. I think you have threaded the needle there or sort of picked the right, the right numbers or, or whatever it is that it's like, oh, yeah, we could probably save a couple thousand dollars if we wanted to start from scratch somewhere else and probably fill out PDFs that they emailed to us. But who cares? My time is worth more than that to me. Or like my frustration is worth more than that to me. Yeah. And, and you know, as we were talking about, I think before we uh, started recording that like this is the least important thousand dollars for you to save. Right. Yeah, totally. Somebody responded, you know, like, like you could get a lower rate somewhere else. And I responded, I was you know, kind of in a mood. And I was just like, not the point. <laughs> um, and I could have been nicer about it. I should have been nicer about it. But that, that it really is like, this is just not the interesting part of this equation to me. Yeah. So it sounds like the the sort of answer to the direct question is that you were probably not considering taking some like capital before we offered it to you. And I I think a lot of a lot of businesses tell us that like they they, they are sort of very excited by these offers because it's not something they were thinking about, but lots of them are like you know 50 100k. I don't know what loan you were offered, but like allows them to do things they otherwise would not have done. We actually see from our metrics that almost entirely all the time, like com- that company's revenue, if they take a capital loan, will grow within a quarter or so. I think the the headline number is something by like sometimes as much as sixty percent, which is like a very a very nice lever to be able to offer people, right? There's like strong strong aligned incentives there, right? It's like you get you give us a little bit of money, your revenue grows after you've given us that little bit of money, like. It's a it's a really powerful growth engine, and I I'm I think Capital is a super cool product. I literally get an email every so often, which is like, "Hey, we'd like to offer you more money than before." <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Huh, interesting." We don't need the money necessarily, so we could totally fund the marketing experiments that we're going to do out of cash flow. I'm interested in this sort of question: is can we take someone else's money and pay a fee and still get ROI that we feel really good about. Because then, well, well, now we seem to have made a money-making machine. <laughs> that would be a cool thing to have made. Is your thesis that you're not trading capital off against doing something else? Like, like if you were not to not take the loan, would you be trading the capital off against something else or no? 
Do you mean like would I do something else with the, the capital if we weren't going to take the loan? If you were to take 250k out of your cash flow to go spend on something else within the... Like, are you sacrificing the spending on something else within the business? I think the, the most likely destination for the the cash would be like dividends honestly okay okay so uh, no- we would just be like oh let's i'm gonna go buy index funds um, <laughs> sure okay <laughs> this is kind of us transitioning from a, a little bit of a mindset of let's not have tuple fail without having like taken something out for the founders and have nothing to show and now kind of thinking like we're feeling pretty pretty good about this product we've made let's get it in front of a lot more people let's reinvest more in the business and in growth gotcha and so yeah. y- it sounds like you haven't taken a loan yet and you haven't actually started these marketing experiments. So it's a little too early to tell if they're having an impact on the business. Correct. The first one is is launching fairly imminently. I think we're, yeah, weeks, not months. There'll be some data soon, I think. Uh, are we allowed to have a preview or? Uh... The first idea is giving back to the open source community. Okay. And and more on that uh, soonish. More on that, more on that to come. But it was a nice thing to sort of sit there and ask, like, okay, if we did have a pile of money, what could we do to help make open source a little bit better? That's that's great. I'm personally very excited to see. And, like, I'm, I'm actually very curious to hear, like, at the end of this experiment, if you think, like, gosh, we would immediately take another capital loan if it was available to us, right? If you paid it back and, it like, we presented another one to you, I would be very curious to know. And maybe I'll come on for a fourth time and we can talk, we can do a wrap-up and be like, hey, Ben, would you would you take another capital loan? Because, like, I, I do think that you've got something there with the, like, can we just have infinite marketing dollars to throw at this? Yeah. To be fully candid, there's some there's second and third order things going on or sort of knock-on effects. So talking about marketing is marketing weirdly <laughs> right. enough yeah, yeah yeah so just like aaron's thread being like we're trying this experiment got a lot of people interested and you know sharing it around and we've had a good number of people sign up to our like hear about our marketing experiment email list we haven't even done any marketing yet we just said we just said we're gonna do some marketing <laughs> i also think right some of that is like a very unique take on the play right it's like it's like here's a set of things that are actually extremely convenient for my business to access right through straight like one click in the dashboard where all of your revenue already is right i think there's also this kind of like very interesting thing you are doing here which is the kind of like built-in convenience of being able to manage revenue against margin i'm personally cheering you on i think this is very cool i think this is a really cool experiment i think many stripe people feel the same and that uh we are excited to see what happens here that's cool i mean and so that sort of brings me to one other thing which is like it is not totally lost on me that this would be interesting to people inside stripe maybe that works out in an interesting way and maybe not but it's like it it would it's not the worst thing that i i am aware that there are cheerleaders for us inside the company as i was mentioning i think in our preamble this is i think the most visible usage of capital we have seen outside of like our large enterprise announcements. I'm just personally very curious to see if you can make this work for you because I think that is a interesting story for Stripe to be able to present to our customers to be like, look at this medium-sized bootstrapped company, not, you know, in the billions of dollars of revenue, but certainly in the like millions and and look at what they were able to do with a Stripe capital loan, right? Because like to your point, you know, you could have taken this out of cash flow and probably not impacted the business that much. But like, it's very interesting to see what potentially even smaller businesses could do with this kind of margin, because 
ultimately that is leverage like levering leveraging your business in a really interesting way and i'm excited to see where that goes yeah i I think if this goes well it basically turns into a case study of like hey we use this product and it's and it worked really well isn't that cool does anyone want to retweet this? Oh, for, oh, for certain. Um, you can also tell I'm the technical advisor to the CTO now because I understand words like margin and leverage. Um, <laughs> these yeah. are things we think about over here in not real software engineer land. I bet. If I can spend a bunch of money on marketing and take a nice dividend, that's even better than just taking dividends. So uh, we all we all want this to work, which is a nice place to be in. Yeah, it's also it's also like a thing where you can go, hey, software engineers, here's an API for infinite marketing budget, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is very fun. Yeah, totally. We have a th- I think what is likely to be the final call coming up with a like documentary crew. <laughs> right. I remember. I remember you telling me this that you're not just going to do the things. You're also going to like make a make a documentary about it. Yeah. So we've been we've been. Uh, like recording our screens and like recording like conversations and, <laughs> and we, we want to do some in-person filming like you know just like here's what I was feeling at the moment we hit the publish button kind of thing <laughs> and like, like the, the end goal of these experiments or like the, one of the end products that we have in mind is like a fairly nice like a nicely done tightly edited six minute summary of the whole thing that's that's going to be incredible like i'm just imagining a sort of a sort of like uh shot you know of like somebody in tuple hq like coding and then it like cuts to like them talking about well i was working on on you know this thing and then like yeah that's yes very very well played sir i'm excited to see where this goes thanks yeah me too yeah you said that the capital team was gave you some questions to to Hit me with. Do you have any more you want to go through? I actually, I think I asked you the main one about would you have taken money from anyone else? Um, that was sort of the main thing we were curious about. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, I only have eyes for you. <laughs> well, Strife enjoys you too. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I have a little uh, user research to do on you. Uh-huh. Real quick. Yeah, please hit me. Um, do you use the uh, slash zoom slack command? Uh, yes, all the time. Literally every okay. day literally every day okay uh can you walk me through a usage of it yeah so like say david and i have just been in a meeting about something and like want to debrief and chat about it we'll just be like want to chat for five minutes yes slash zoom and then we just hop into that call right that's like a a pretty common use case another one we have is if stripe is having a big incident we will frequently all gather and like someone will just be like here's the zoom for the incident slash zoom right and then those sort of like Anywhere where something is happening ad hoc and is not pre-planned, that's a very common use case for slash Zoom. Got it. And so when you do that, it throws a link in there and says, you know, click here to join. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there, there, there are actually there's one thing I like about it, and there's one thing I don't like about it. So if if two people are in a DM and they both slash Zoom, it will make two Zoom calls, right? And then you have to be like, which one am I joining? And usually like. I just say yours like as fast as I can uh, to try and get there before the other person, right? And then, so that's the thing I don't like about it. The thing I do like about it is it show it will show a little icon of who's in the in the Zoom, which is like very useful to know like who all was in this call, how long did it last for, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are working on supporting this workflow. Uh huh. Slash um, tuple. So. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. yeah. 
we have this, you know, fully synchronous call model and not like a give me a link to a place I can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and and we want we want that. Certainly back when I was an engineer who actually wrote code, it would be a little bit of a kerfuffle to get into a tuple call because of this, right? It would be like, who's calling who? Like, okay, we've agreed we're going to meet, but like what are the actual mechanics here? And because it's not like as so much of the workflow as like I'm in my calendar, I'm joining Zoom links every, like, if I could have a calendar entry with a tuple link in it, that would be mm-hmm. great, right? And uh, what would happen when you click it? I would either be on my own in the tuple call, or if somebody else was already in there, then we would be in a call together, right? Like, and, and like, I think one other thing that could be interesting is considering doing a browser plugin. So Zoom has a browser plugin where in Google Calendar, it will replace the, like, make it a video meeting with Google Hangouts with make it a Zoom meeting. Because, like, that's a thing you need to do if your organization is, you know, Zoom-based. I don't think you would probably be ever be the sort of primary video calling choice, right? But, like, having a, like, having an extra button that you shove in there somehow, which is, like, add, give me a tuple link, uh, would be great, right? Because, like, the other thing is, like, right now when I'm making a calendar event, when the the operation to save it is also the operation to attach a Zoom link. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's say there was a tuple URL that would dump you in, in a room and hidden behind some sort of UUID of sufficient length. Are you comfortable with anyone that clicks that link being able to join? Me speaking as Penelope, I think the answer is probably yes. I think many enterprises would want only allow people who are SSO'd to my organization to join, right? So like, uh, or at least have an option to decide what mode that link is in, right? So like, because I can imagine if I'm interviewing a candidate and I want to use tuple, then like maybe maybe it would be open access, but like by or a passcode, right? But like a lot of a lot of organizations, certainly in the enterprise space, want to be able to have pretty tight controls over who, who all is in those calls. I think probably for your enterprise customers, they would want the default to be only folks who are SSO'd to my tuple team. Does that feel sufficiently restrictive? So if, if you're in the call, mm-hmm. anyone else that is at Stripe, like a Stripe employee through SSO can come in there. You don't need to approve them. Yeah, um, no, I, th- you- I think that's fine. Okay. That's how Zoom meetings at Stripe work. Anyone who is in the Stripe Zoom org can join any Stripe Zoom meeting unless it has uh, a non-default uh, authorization option set. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's nice. Okay, good. I'm trying to figure out how much configuration we need there and how uh, strict our defaults should be. On mm-hmm. Go talk to your customers, right? Like and that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my, I think my view on this is is probably that like by default, if I'm doing it at Stripe, I want it to be URL plus SSO is sufficient, and then I think I probably want a toggle which is like passcode or like let me approve or like let the meeting creator approve or something like that right which implies that when i create a link there is some notion of my tuple identity like the owner of the room is associated with it right i get that that may be tricky i think something like that something that is not the url is going to be necessary in like some cases like actually I can give you a sort of uh, real-world example of this, of something we, we might do at Stripe. At Stripe, right, we have uh, the PCI environment and we have mainland, right? The PCI environment is where we store all of the actual 
credit card information about our users, right? And 90, 95% of engineers at Stripe do not have access uh, to that environment and cannot even commit code or open pull requests against that environment, right? And so that, like, you could imagine a pairing call between two engineers on the PCI environment wanting to be locked down in some way to prevent any random Stripe engineer from joining it. Like, that is a pra- that is a practical real-world example. And, like, for example, at Google, there are subdirectories of code within the ginormous Google monorepo that certain engineers cannot access, and so on and so on, right? This is a actually somewhat common feature of enterprise environments to have a, like, most sensitive uh, region of their code. And, and you could totally imagine users wanting to be able to select defaults against this. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So probably most of the time, let anyone in my company in yeah. works. Yeah. Sometimes you might say, eh, no, this one's, we're, we're on some particularly sensitive things. Yeah. Make me approve everyone. You could imagine like a user going into their tuple app and in their settings page saying like, my meetings are sensitive by default, right? I think, I think you probably want the default to not be that and then have a way for a user to change that if they want it. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I've been kind of hoping to avoid associating call like URLs with users, but that might, I might be uh, hurting myself with that design. I think potentially you don't need to do that by default, right? But have a way to do that, right? If I was thinking of sort of classic, like ship a scooter, then ship a bicycle, then ship a car, like just, just ship the version where a URL lets anyone join first and then like work out how to do some of these auth primitives afterwards, right? Like I, I like I don't see any reason why that isn't a completely reasonable first step to deliver like a little unit of value to users first. I originally thought that and then lately I've been thinking of going the other direction, where the first thing we ship maybe is a very restrictive thing. So the UX is not quite as pleasant, but at least everyone can use it even if they need the most secure version. I could go I could go either way. Um, and maybe and maybe the answer is you use a feature flag to roll it out and you start with your like generalized population of customers ignoring larger enterprises or something like that, right? Where like the enter- like enterprises necessarily have higher security bars, right? And so like I, I imagine the average tuple customer is 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 small and like there are a handful of very large enterprises that are using it. And so that like it's pretty easy to cohort those out. I would guess, and again, go talk to somebody who works at a small company, because I certainly do not, but my, my guess would be they would be okay with having that convenience immediately for trading the security bar. And look, your audience is developers, so if you go to them and say, here is what we have done, and here are the security trade-offs, they will understand, right? And so you, you do have that sort of lovely ability to actually ask them what they think. Right? And, and engage with the trade-off intelligently, which I think is, is not necessarily true of all SaaS platforms. Yeah. I'm actually excited to talk to more customers about this. This feels like one of those, like, we're sort of um, honing in on a design, and I'm excited to kind of bounce this off people and, and refine it and figure out where we where we start. Yeah. I, I love talking to customers. So that's that's something I'm doing a lot more of in my new role, both with, with David and Solo. In fact, both you and Derek have uh, hit me up for like behind the scenes Stripe calls since I've taken on this role. And um, yeah, it's been really interesting to see different struggles with our users actually using our products now than I have previously. And also like, uh, frankly, it is it is fascinating to watch like a, a very experienced executive 
talking to customers, which is, is something, you know, obviously I haven't really had a chance to experience before being in this role. What stands out to you about how that, an experienced person does it? Knowing how to balance talking technology and business in a way to cause the conversation to flow in a way where like I get the sense that like when I'm in technical details I want to just deep dive super hard on the technical details because obviously that's where my background is and like David definitely still has that right he has a very strong engineering background and but you can sort of see how it's been refined over over the years of, of he, he was at Google before he was at Stripe as a as an engineering leader at Google and you can sort of see that more refined like business sense that is is there and that's something i'm starting to pick up on in this role as well is like i attend i actually attend like um so at stripe we have for a lot of our major product products we have a meeting called a quarterly business review where we literally go through all the metrics uh including like dollar figures and retention rates and like you know very muchly how a SaaS business analyzes itself but for all the various kinds of products stripe has uh pay-ins payouts connect capital treasury etc and get go into it with a really fine detail with our, our leadership team what we call st which includes patrick and john and david and our cfo divia and just kind of sitting in those and uh certainly when i started being in those i was like i have no idea what's going on right i like like words are being used that i have no idea what they mean and i'm like slowly starting to pick up on more of that sort of like finance industry business context and it, it's sort of fascinating to see the engine of how all of this stuff works hmm. i always have this vague sense of guilt that i should be driving tuple more with metricsy things like that and should be doing my own quarterly business reviews yeah so a lot of the formats of those meetings are the business lead for a given product line uh will agree with st that's the name of the leadership uh, team of all of our executives like what their headline metrics are and then we'll report the trends over those metrics in the review with narrative right for example if if payments volume has moved up or down is that because something fundamental has changed in the stripe business or is that because macroeconomic conditions have changed in such a way that means that like our payments volume would naturally decline right because in, in some sense we have a very broad exposure to the global economy right and so like when there are changes to the global economy uh stripe experiences you know changes in how the business works and it's been frankly fascinating as someone who has a, a pretty pure engineering background to sit in those meetings. But I think to come back to Tuple, right? Like there are clearly there are clearly metrics that are very important to you that you probably do want to track on a quarter by quarter basis and come up with a narrative for why. I assume you're already doing that in one form or another. Like I know on the podcast you used to mention uh, opening up your bare metrics dashboard every day and looking at the revenue numbers. I don't know if you're still opening up your bare metrics dashboard every day and looking at the revenue numbers, but uh, embarrassingly, yes. <laughs> well, that, there we go. You, you've got a daily business review going, <laughs> but in a more structured way, right? And so. Like, you know, are subscriptions up quarter over quarter or enterprise deals up quarter over quarter? Is our enterprise close rate, uh, I, I don't know how many of those deals you're doing and if you can even infer a rate. And But also, like, considering it as more, like, the way I might think about this if I were you is that you are the business lead for Tuple and that you would be presenting it to the founders, right? Which happens to include yourself, but probably Spencer and Joel would be interested in all of that stuff as well, Right and getting a clear understanding of the health of the business. Mm. You just reminded me of a thing I forgot, which is I do quarterly updates to our advisors, which 
basically is basically is this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing that I the feel the guilt around is picking a metric or, or picking a couple of them and being like, these are the ones we care about. We want to see these go up and stick into it. Well, I mean, we could we could do a little mini brainstorm on that right now if you would like. Yeah, sure, let's do it. Why not? So I think I think revenue is probably one you or MRR, I guess in your case, is probably one you care about. It's kind of the ultimate. Yeah. It's yeah. Is there a is there a like call count or call duration or some or person call time you care about? Yeah, I was I was thinking something like weekly active users might mm-hmm. be the a good yeah. way to think about this as yeah. more like an input metric into the MRR. Yeah, I mean that that metric though will have uh, a similar flaw to a lot of uh, business metric flaws that we have at Stripe, which is over holiday periods it will crash, right? So you either need to exclude those or just be like, we know this is going to go down or do a like, you know, three or four weekly trend. But even then from, you know, November through the start of January, you're going to have a, a dip as well. Yes. I mean, I think notion notionally weekly, like developers who opened Tuple and ran a call makes a ton of sense, right? Cohort retention also would be good i wish <laughs> i wish someone i knew would help me make that easier yeah yeah i i don't i don't know if we ever talked about this on the podcast but i i know you stripe has some cohort retention management issues with it, it's like credit card free trials right but you talk to some of our product managers about that i right? do i my understanding of the situation is we don't it was kind of like yeah that does sound annoying but it didn't seem like a, a fix was imminent or yeah I could believe that that is not top of the roadmap for the checkout and billing folks right now. I also I also appreciate it's it's annoying. I mean, we can I can go chase them if you would like. Um, see see where that is. But so I th- I think that's right. Like like assuming you had perfect cohort retention metrics, cohort retention metrics is sounds right. You also have call quality baked into the app, right? Do you, we do, yeah. What is the trend line on that like? Um. It's been fairly flat. I mean, it's been like a 4.5 for a long time. And recently we cracked 4.6. Hey, celebration. Um, so it's, it's, it's trending very slightly up, I guess. But we like the median call quality is a 5. That one's a little bit harder to tease out detail from, it feels like. Like all metrics, it suffers from certain things, which is like if you have a few bad calls and churn, well, uh, you, you don't contribute to that average anymore. I, I wonder if one way you could make this metric more meaningful is by doing a absolute count of ratings lower than five. And so with an absolute count, like you, you would expect it to sort of increase as the number of users goes up. But if it increases less than linear, then you know your product is improving. And so you could potentially sort of juxtapose weekly actives. Maybe you could do an absolute count of those divided by weekly actives, and, and that gives you a proportion. If that metric is is sort of uh, declining that that's actually a better product quality metric than trying to do an average over the whole distribution if most of your ratings are fives right right yeah that makes sense that's a good idea i like that do you track any operational metrics like uh like latency to start a call call up time call availability like do you have good operational metrics where like they tell you if the tuple service is working or not working uh maybe <laughs> not that i look at okay I think those are actually pretty intimately related to business success, right? Like, if 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 a hundred percent of tuple calls were failing to initiate, you would you would have a problem. For example, like 
do you have SLAs in your enterprise contracts for those? Like occasionally, yes. Like uptime SLAs, yeah. Yeah. So there's probably something there. And I actually like yeah. if if you're sort of putting this business lead hat on, understanding not just the like business metrics, but also the operational metrics is probably helpful to you because those are like those are a good proxy for user satisfaction outside of directly how good was this call, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like for for example, how many users try to start a call it fails and then they do it a second time and it succeeds, right? Because that's like a little paper cut. Mm-hmm. Is there anything there? Um, and like, I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah, totally. That resonates a lot. I was reading um a post from the Tailscale CEO recently, who I admire. And he was saying, it seems like our product is good enough in terms of quality. It's probably already the most reliable VPN. But every time we ship a thing that makes it a little more reliable in like a couple more cases, we basically immediately see the numbers move in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And we often talk about leading indicators versus lagging indicators when we do metrics reviews. For example, in our, in our developer productivity review, we look at both uh, pull requests per developer per day. So we actually track that for the entire engineering cohort at Stripe. But we also look at a thing we call bad days. Every engineering tool at Stripe has instrumentation inside it. And if a developer is waiting on a tool for a certain amount of time that we consider out of normality, or their combined total tool wait time exceeds a certain number in a given day, that counts as a bad day. Um, And bad days are a leading indicator of pull requests per engineer per day, which is a lagging indicator. And so we actually include both in our overall developer productivity analysis metrics. And you could sort of imagine thinking about what are the leading indicators for success at Tuple as well? Mm, yeah, I like that. I think my tendency is to kind of address these things by feel mostly, like kind of in- intuition. And I think, you know, we're pretty young and fairly small and I can kind of internalize a lot of what's going on at the company. And so it's probably not super terrible. No, <laughs> I mean, it, we've it's- done all right. It's a great product, and you, you've done. I I know that you've done that mostly by feel, and you have good product sense. So like that's like that's where you're at now, and I, it's it's very funny because the reason we got here, right, is you expressed a guilt about being less metrics driven, and I I, I want I wonder if maybe the answer is you don't need super need to be right in this second, right? Yeah, it, and that that could be. I wasn't trying to defend or like say like you know we don't need it. Check it out. As I, actually my my point, I think is more. We may be hitting a time where this would be more useful as things get more complex and we want to, you know, make the engines, we're more interested in making the engine spin faster and it's less like we have to make a good enough product or we're going to die and more like uh, we can get a little bit more rigorous perhaps. Um, yeah. I think the one thing about having metrics like this that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate is that obviously you can report those top line aggregates, but usually to build the top line aggregates you are also gathering sufficient data to be able to pinpoint issues, right? So like in order in order to maybe like track like these operational metrics along with call quality, you, you're actually emitting a, a packet of information for every call, right? Or like every five minute period during a call or something like that, right? And so and so and so then you can go, okay, give me give me all the ones through fours. What is different about all these other metrics for this population than it is for the fives? You know, and as you said, you probably have an intuition for this, but like, 
I, I would guess it's a coin flip as to whether your intuition is right uh, a lot of the time, right? And and being able to actually slice and dice this data is, is extremely valuable. And this is one thing uh, we have actually done really well at Stripe, is we make a lot of our internal data available through a single unified data warehouse called Hubble. Uh, so, like, you can join, you know, give me all the request logs for the main API surface with, you know, the sort of customer information that we have available. And then like, okay, now I can I can sort of do interesting slices and dices on the customers who get more 500s from Stripe's businesses fail more often, for example, right? Like that is all protected by the internal access controls I've mentioned on the, the podcast before, but that like our data science groups are able to put together these amazing analyses because we have the ability to join operational information and business information together, right? I think that's our destiny. I think we're probably we're I think we're getting to the point now where that's like that's going to be a thing that we do. I remember talking to Colin Nettercorn at uh, Customer IO, and he was talking about his data warehouse. And I was like, "Why do you need this?" And he was like, "You will also eventually need this." And it was like, "Oh dear, yeah, you're probably right." It's been really interesting to kind of just like see this bias towards putting things in the data warehouse, even if it's not immediately obvious why. Another analysis you can do within Stripe is look at the history of pull requests this person is merging uh, versus like when they became a staff software engineer, right? And you, you get this like very clear, like, dunk, now they're in meetings all day, right? This idea of having this kind of unified data interface for everything in the company is extremely valuable. I think this might be <laughs> the next phase in my evolution. Just flesh out my skill set as someone running a business. And, you know, I have some natural tendencies that have done well enough, but then some other things that are not as natural and embracing those might be the next the next step. I can I can totally see you hiring a data scientist or a data engineer and being like, OK, I want you to do the stuff, but also I want you to teach me how to do the stuff. Because, um, like, ultimately, the underlying technology is SQL, right? And I have some reason to believe you know how to write a SQL query or two. You've slung a fair bit of SQL in your time. And uh I, I could imagine mostly through ARL. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no ARL for the sort of nice data warehouse technologies, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, this is going to cost me a hundred grand a year, isn't it? I, I, I mean, I mean, just take another stripe, just take another stripe capital loan. Like, come on. <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting. Stripe capital for infra. We're going to build a data warehouse using Stripe's money, <laughs> and now you can share that on your engineering blog. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, uh, can I can I do a quick shout out um, mm. for this? Yeah, so so Stripe, uh, you you may actually be interested in this. Stripe published zero articles uh, on the engineering blog in 2021. We wanted to change that. So as part of my role as the technical advisor, David asked me to kind of look in, figure out why debug, and then ultimately restart it. What I actually ended up doing is basically making myself DRI for the EngBlog. And I was like, I'm going to cause us to start publishing articles again. I just sort of started finding engineers, getting them to write drafts. Um, and and I actually, I borrowed something that you talked about a long time ago on the podcast, which is getting them to write three sentences and then picking like the best possible, like, okay, who can pitch me an interesting article in three sentences? And then being like, okay, now expand this to three paragraphs now expand this to three pages. And, and then we've been getting reviews from David, uh, as well as Patrick and John, and yeah, publishing. And, and one just went out yesterday on Stripe's uh, CI infrastructure, uh, which is very complicated, but very technically 
interesting. And uh, Paul Graham even said, it sounds like there's an entire startup's worth of technology in straight CI infrastructure, which is, you know, one hell of a quote. So restarting the engineering blog has been really interesting. We're beginning to systemize it, systematize it to the point where I no longer need to be personally involved uh, at every single step. And I, I just love this, this sort of like, okay, a thing's not working, work out some like vague way of doing it and then slowly sort of grind it down to a process. And so now I have a comms person doing more of the like initial stages of the pipeline, initial draft editing, working with engineers. And then I do, I do a review later um in the cycle and and that's that's been really good it's it's a lot of fun to just kind of build small processes like that you know the side of me that really likes sweating small details of about what tuple is doing is always kind of tickled to hear about your c-suite reviewing engineering blog posts yeah to be really honest with you on the sorbet blog post that went out patrick had incredibly well-shaped feedback he said something that both david and i were thinking but neither of us said it to the author and then patrick was just like here's the problem and we were both like damn it he's right like he was he was just right right and so like i actually really appreciate having him give that input because i think like we are trying to represent the best of stripe engineering culture here and obviously patrick cares a lot about stripe engineering culture and he gives really excellent feedback still, even though he's fairly disconnected from, you know, actually writing code. It's great to have that as a resource. Never give up the things you love, right? It's also very clear he loves, like, reviewing what goes on our blog um, and never give that up. If Patrick can do it, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> I think there, there, there are parts of, of the business that I, I probably sh- I should step away from and just, like, cease to be involved in the details. And that's good. I think there are some people that are dogmatic about the ceo like getting away from his all like all of the details and i just i I can't i can't love that yeah the folks i feel like are really successful founders are the ones who keep doing what they love you know the whole the whole way through the business and are also good at letting go of the things they don't love i actually i actually think patrick and john are very lucky and that they tend to be quite divide and conquer Right? Like one of them will have a stronger opinion about something and be like, I'm owning this one, and the other one will kind of let them do that. Uh, and that's that's really cool to see as well. We can wrap if you want, or do you want to get into the friction log? Oh, yeah. I have been pretending to be a Stripe customer uh, this week. Um, so I'm building a little checkout plus connect uh, integration. And like I, I'm literally doing it on my personal laptop. No Stripe access, no Stripe domain, anything. Um, partially because uh, Stripe engineering laptops are pretty locked down for like what they can and can't run and i wanted to be able to just build with whatever i want building a rails app i haven't built a rails app since like rails 5 or on rails 7 now and like it's very different is it is it that's interesting i think i stopped coding around the late fours i don't think i ever made a a five (laughs) you never made a five app um yeah so like like and for example i found a lot of a, a lot of uh nitpicks in rails like if you if you have a form and the form hits a post control. This is way more coding than we've ever talked about our product, but here, here we are. And the form uh, hits a post controller action and redirects with a 303 status code. Uh, TurboStream won't correctly pick up the redirect. And uh, like this piece of JavaScript that's embedded in the Rails front end will actually throw an exception. I grabbed someone from Rails and I was like, what is this? And they were like, oh yeah, probably nobody at Basecamp uses a 303 redirect and that's why it doesn't work. 
I mean, I know what a 303 is off the top of my head, but just in case any listeners don't. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I actually know what the, what, <laughs> what status code 303 means. Um, okay, great. It must not be important. It's it's not important. It's not important. But that's the preferred way of doing that redirect to Stripe checkout. Um, and so I, I had to work out how to disable TurboStream on a form for of a like Rails thing, and I was just like. I don't know what TurboStream is. Like, like, is it like TurboLinks? I maybe I don't know. Anyway, that's not the Stripe piece of this. Um, integrating Stripe checkout is really fast. I had not I had not realized how quick and easy it is to just be like, boom, and now I have a, a, a revenue, which I think is really cool. Um, I'm also integrating Connect for payouts, and and like the Connect onboarding ramp is a little rougher. Um, it feels like the default assumption with Connect is that you are like a big customer who, who is wanting to do big things, and like it feels like the I am an impatient developer who just wants to paste JavaScript like into the front end and everything works. Dream is not quite there, but like this is the thing we do at Stripe a lot is we use our own products. In fact, yesterday I was pairing with David on. Uh, something that is unreleased that we are going to be launching soon. We ended up giving a lot. Of you can fe- tell me about it. It's fine. No, I can't. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. Mm. For the listeners, Ben keeps trying to get me to talk about unreleased Stripe products on, on the podcast. Oh, you said you maybe could. <laughs> I just want you to. This can just be the the one place you talk about. It. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, like this is a this is the thing uh, I've been getting into a lot more is like building stuff with the Stripe API out completely outside of Stripe and then sending feedback documents to the team and being like, honestly, this is where I would have table flipped and quit if I did not work at Stripe. And like some of it is actually that rough, right? Uh, And so even though a lot of these products are like very core to our business and have been pounded on a lot, some of those flows are not uh, as smooth as we'd want them to be, right? Um, but every every product we launch goes through this, where somebody tries to build something entirely outside of Stripe and see what happens, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so healthy. If you have any gripes with Stripe things, I recommend you email Penelope at Stripe dot com because that's that's what I do. And it, <laughs> it seems to work. I will hop on a Zoom call with you and then and then direct you to product managers if it makes sense and like really truly for anyone listening if you want to give feedback to stripe just email me penelope at stripe.com and i will hear your feedback and direct it as best i can cool yeah nice an exclusive offer for aop listeners (laughs) yeah and also everyone who follows me on twitter and uh other places (laughs) besides And if you try hard enough, maybe she'll tell you about um, secret to be released. <laughs> no, no, no violation of the NDAs are happening on or off the uh, air. Okay. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's always great talking to you. Love, yeah. love having you on the podcast. This was so much fun. Thanks for coming on. Notes of the show, artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.